0: Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor, and I'm a mom. We're getting real about all things family from a mental health perspective. So let's get to it. Okay, I have with me Lindsay Foss, who I know and relate with in so many ways that I could spend the entire episode gushing about her. So it's more efficient for your listening ears, if I pass the mic now, and I'm going to get Lindsay to introduce herself. Go for it.
1: Okay. Well, thanks, Karen. And thanks so much for having me on. Um, As Karen shared, my name is Lindsay Foss. I'm the director of Thrive Life Counseling and Wellness in Fort Langley. Um, I am also a clinical counselor, and I work largely uh, doing trauma therapy. I serve a lot of clients who are um, first responders and frontline workers, as well as other professionals. And a lot of the work I do is around helping to navigate um, anchoring back to a life that feels like we are a bit more in control of when we felt like life starts to kind of control us. And so self-care is a topic that I do a lot of talking about in my sessions. Um, it's also a piece that I have, you know, crafted and created some additional resources around um, because I find that it's just such a foundational part of how we experience wellness.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, sometimes I think it feels like a buzzword, so people kind of write it off. Yeah, yeah, self-care. And I think we lose the vitality of it and the the just the critical pieces of actually doing it um, because we just kind of say, yeah, yeah you know, it sounds oversimplified in a lot of ways, but it's so important. Yeah, for sure,
1: I get a lot of like eye rolls when I pitch self-care to my like, uh, you know, hurly burly construction workery kinds of clients who Mm -hmm. um, feel like it's like it's a fluffy thing or it's a soft skill or it's um, these kinds of things. And it's really unfortunate because it really does a disservice to us when we discount the value that it has for us. But it's in part because I think self-care has been related to a lot of the, like, go for a money petty kinds of things.
0: Yes. um, And we've lost what it's actually about. Perfect. Kate, well, you've just led me into my first question because, so a couple episodes ago, we talked about the difference between commercialized self-care, how it's been hijacked and sold back to us. And the type of self-care that I would call true self-care, the actual thing that happens Mm -hmm. for us that grounds us. So how do you define self-care and what are the kinds of considerations or questions that we should be exploring when it comes to applying it to work or work life? Okay. So I'm going to kind of address that as two separate questions. Um,
1: the, question around how I define self-care I would say that I define self-care in a way that's going to sound fairly broad Um, and I think it needs to be because care actually looks like a lot of things so I mean your your listeners are parents I'm assuming by and large given the subject matter Um, and so I think that's actually a really good relating point if we think about what it means to do care for our kids it tends to mean, you know, I am listening to them. I'm thoughtful and mindful of them. I try to show interest in things they care about, even when I don't really care that much about Minecraft or Pokemon go or whatever the thing is today. Um, We do all of these pieces, but we also like make healthy meals and make sure they eat their broccoli and make sure they go to bed on time. We make them dentist appointments and doctor's appointments. Like, we do a lot of things and they all fall under the heading of care Mm -hmm. and we do that care for others generally pretty easily um i would say that self-care is the same concepts it's doing care for ourselves which can look like all of those big and small tangible and intangible kinds of things Mm -hmm. and the function of it is to do it from a heart of caring for ourselves So I often talk with my clients about this idea that, uh, you know, just to take the hot bath because I've been told that self-caring does zero amount, like you get no credit for it if you didn't do it with a heart of caring for yourself. And to some extent, we see this in our kids too, right? Like if I say, hey, babe, how was your day to my kid, but then I'm scrolling on my phone and I'm half ignoring him while he's sharing back with me. That's going to be one interpretation of care for him that he's going to kind of go, that's not really care. Like, I don't feel that. Versus if I say, hey, babe, how was your day-to-day? And I have, like, wrapped attention for him, the heart of care in that is going to be more demonstrable, right? And so it's the same idea for us. Are Are we caring genuinely from a place of care or are we just, like, ticking boxes for the sake of ticking boxes, right? Yeah, And I think... kind of jump then into the second question around how it applies to our work life it is in the big and the small things so i think you know this piece that you were talking about in a previous episode around kind of the consumeristic models for how self-care has been sold back to us um it's sold it back to us in a lot of the like spa days and vacations and that kind of stuff which is all great but it's not all of the things right and so You know, I think in our work lives, it's about trying to find this ever elusive thing called balance. Um, It's trying to create functional, practical pieces that we can integrate before, during and after our work days to support us as whole people. It's also about like calling in on that mental health day or taking the sick day when you're sick, right? Like it's all of these pieces and they work in concert together to be self-caring.
0: I what makes that makes me think of is the tightness and the pressure that people often feel around prioritizing work Mm -hmm. and so when it comes in competition with what we think we need to be doing for ourselves to take the sick day to like Mm -hmm. it's it requires so much subjectivity we have to assess ourselves and go is my value and worth and health something I can value above showing up to work improving myself. Like, Mm -hmm. right, we make those small decisions every day, but they're part of a bigger framework in our heads about, do we really feel we're worthy of care? Do we give ourselves what we need? Or do we constantly prioritize everything else and hope with all fingers and toes crossed, that we'll catch up enough at some point that there will be time left over?
1: Yeah, totally. Well, and I mean, you're nailing it, right? Like, We have this twisted sense of the math that says I just have to hustle more and then someday I'll get that time where I get to just chill out, right? Except that time never comes. And part of it is because we're creating a system that makes everyone continue to expect of us, right? Like Mm -hmm. if we are always the one who shows up, everyone's always going to expect us to be the one who shows up. And so the challenge is, you know, I I say this thing to clients a lot. I actually run a group around this um, for professionals. uh, And we talk about this idea that taking care of me lets me take better care of others. And it's almost this affirmation we need to give ourselves the legitimacy of taking this Mm -hmm. for ourselves to recognize that it offers value that's beyond ourselves. It's not just because I need a mental health day or because I need to feel better. It's that I don't offer my best self to everybody else when I'm not doing things that help me be in my best self. So when I am exhausted and burnt out and I'm, you know, all of the thing overwhelmed and overworked, and then my kid says something to me like, hey, mom, I need you to take me to the store to grab this. And then I turn and I'm like flipping out about it. Is mm-hmm. that my best moment? Not really. Am I offering my best moment to anybody Probably not. When we build up our own resources, it allows us to operate in a space where we're giving a better quality of ourselves. So people may find that they're missing out on some of the quantity of us, but when they get better quality, they don't really care. Exactly. Totally
0: true. Yeah. So there are differing demands, pressures, and risks that are kind of associated with different careers or different systems of of, of work, right? If yeah. we work for like large money-driven corporations versus um, caring professionals in a government system versus there's so many kind of cohorts of careers, clusters of careers that demand differently of us. Can you speak a bit to what we should be thinking about around how they impact us? Like, what are the things that each of those kind of bigger categories of work types, how they uniquely influence or wear us down? Yeah. I mean, you're right. There's this diversity
1: of job types and management styles and, you know, industry systems that put pressure in slightly different ways. One of the things I found really interesting, I work with a lot of different types of professionals in a lot of different industries. um, And in large part, because of a contract that I have with WorkSafe BC. So I get a lot of clients that are off work for varying reasons, but from every industry under the sun. Um, What I found really interesting is that a lot of the feedback of those clients is quite common regardless of what industry they're coming from. So whether it's, you know, like I've had people who are coming from like fisheries, um, and then I've had people who are in like civil engineering and planning, and then I have people who are scientists and doctors and nurses and teachers and, you know, CEOs, like kind of all of the pieces everyone experiences this common space of the demands are too high, I can't keep up. And I'm always feeling this sense of failing because the target keeps moving. Yep, right? And part of what I think gets hard is that we go into our work and we want to be invested and we want to be successful at it. And so we just have this sense of like, if I keep my head down and just keep trucking along, that it'll someday pay off. The challenge with that is that it kind of leaves us in this place where we're we're flying by the seat of our pants, right? Like we're we're not consciously aware of the ways in which the environment or the systems that are within that environment are impacting us on the day to day. Like we don't take the space and time to stop and go, like, huh, well, that was interesting. Like that meeting really felt hard for me. And I wonder why that is. We're just going from that meeting to the next meeting. Like there's no, there's no gap. No reflection,
0: no mindfulness. Yes. Right. And the challenge
1: is, is that when we don't have that gap to cultivate some conscious awareness about what we're in and how it feels for us to be in it, it's really hard to do anything intentional about it. And so then it becomes this additive effect, right? Where it goes on and on and on over so, so long that then we see things like burnout and medical leaves and stuff like this, because Mm -hmm. I haven't taken the time all of this time. It's been building and building and building. And now my resources are so spent that I can't even find a way to try to to get them back up to keep managing. Mm -hmm. So I think like, one of the things I recommend for a lot of people is taking active times where they are stopping to do intentional and purposeful reflection on, you know, how was my day actually today? How did it feel to be in some of those interactions or decision-making moments, some of these different pieces that can be really valuable. It's, it's this piece about like kind of taking a step back to see the forest for the trees mm-hmm. instead of feeling like we're so caught up in it. Um, because when we're so caught up in it, we feel really stuck or we feel like we're drowning. Right. Yeah. And so being able to kind of pull back and notice on a semi regular basis is really helpful as just a general skill set. It's especially helpful given the fact that a lot of the challenges that we have in our workplaces also change over time. So, you know, new manager, new challenges, new season, new challenges, pandemic, new challenges, like Mm -hmm. it's this constantly evolving piece. And so we need to be continuously checking in with ourselves and noticing what's up for us and what's going on around us so that we can work at counterbalancing that as intentionally and as effectively as possible.
0: Hmm. What I, what I love about that is I think a lot of, I hear this reflected in a lot of people's reflections around work stuff is that the lostness that they feel and feeling overwhelmed, um, can come from this place of, in order to feel like I'm constantly being approved of or getting the work done or getting, you know, I'm looking to other people to evaluate me all the time. I'm always looking Mm -hmm. at everybody else's feedback on me. Rarely do we pause to value our own opinion. Mm -hmm. Like we're not actually taking a moment to go, how did I perform in that meeting? How do I feel like I did? Did I meet my goal that I set for myself when I walked into that room? Do, how do, you know, um, which over time, I think it just becomes one of, one of those habits that we just get used to and we accommodate around where we just think the only way to feel like we're successful is to get everybody else to say we're successful
1: And Mm -hmm. where's our
0: voice in that? We've never self-evaluated along the way. We've just overvalued everybody else's opinion. So that, when you translate into self-care, I think that's just such a simple but overlooked way to acknowledge that we have value, our thoughts and our goals and our opinions and our, you know, what we want to grow in has value. It's not all about what everybody else in the corporation thinks or on our team or Yeah, Mm -hmm. what our manager thinks. They're just people as well, right? Totally,
1: totally,
0: yeah. You brought up the COVID piece. So I, you know, sometimes when I do interviews like this, I'm thinking, yeah, but maybe in five or 10 years when we're listening, this is not going to feel like a relevant piece. But I do think in this context, it will, because it's not just about during, it's the slow just emerging from it. And yeah. how long this is going to have impacts on us. So many of us pre-COVID had kind of a bit of a system in place that mm-hmm. had some boundaries around roles. So I would be a parent and then I would go to work and then I would do groceries and then I would, they all had a place yeah. and that was distinct from another. Now we are not Flipping hats back and forth, which was in and of itself already a tough challenge to switch gears all the time. But now we're stacking our hats. So now we're walking around with 12 hats at the same time, if you're lucky enough to be walking. Most of us Mm -hmm. are locked in a room in our houses trying to do all the things. So when I think about simultaneous roles and self care, I think about parents who are teaching while working while going to online meetings, while ordering their groceries online, while rethinking methods of keeping everybody entertained, satisfied, and happy. Yeah, And so I want to hear from you, how do you think that self-care had to change in order to accommodate for that shift? Mm -hmm. And how do you see us adapting as the world slowly opens up again? How are we going to do this?
1: I mean that's a super good jam-packed question, um, and I actually liked how you opened that about how, you know, some of the questions we ask about COVID uh, feel like they have a timeline that again we'll look, listen back mm-hmm. to these kinds of episodes five years from now and it won't feel relevant anymore. Um, to some extent, I think that some of the conversations that this question might elicit have applications forever and ever because to some extent covid's just been like this really big microscope on a problem that already existed mm-hmm. so in terms of how covid changed self-care or has impacted self-care for people um since the pandemic started i think that for so many people self-care just stopped um it was it felt like the thing we could drop it, there, there were so many other demands that were such high priority. None of those felt negotiable. Self-care feels like the thing that's negotiable. Um, unfortunately, that's not COVID specific. That is true for most people most of the time anyways. Yeah, They have been able to kind of skirt by without additional pressures that really just forced a, a light to shine on that. So I think that often, um, particularly parents particularly female parents, um, tend to learn over the course of their lifetimes to be quite self-sacrificing, believing that that is what's in the best interest of everyone else involved. The downside is, again, this piece of, um, you know, I often talk about self-care like a bank account, like you have to put in something if you're going to take out something or else you are in the red pretty quickly. And when we're operating from the red, like we're in emotional debt. And we don't give generously from our best place when we're in emotional debt. We give generously from our best emotional place when we have an abundance to give. And so we have to put something in that account to be able to make good withdrawals and offer that to other people. So I think when COVID hit and self-care stopped for many, we hit this kind of double-edged sword where the demands were higher and higher and higher. Um, and all at the same time, while well, meanwhile our resources were declining and declining and declining because we're not investing anything into counterbalancing that, and I think that's a huge part of why we're seeing mental health rates skyrocket right now, yeah. um, and have been like that's been you know this this gradual uptick throughout the pandemic certainly um, and burnout rates across the board for you know across industries and and. Uh, people of all kinds, Um, but especially for parents who are having to wear so many hats, right? Like that does look a Mm -hmm. little bit different than for people who aren't parenting. Um, For those who are still trying to find self-care in the current situation, like for those who are like figuring that out, no matter how hard this is, I think it's meant looking really carefully for the small moments rather than the big ones um Mm -hmm. the big ones aren't as accessible those are the things that got dropped right like restaurants are closed and spas are closed and gyms are closed and travel is closed like all the things that feel limited and so it's meant getting differently creative and leaning into the small wins around some of that Mm -hmm. so whether it's you know finding your favorite scent and diffusing that in like every room of your home Or if it is meant taking more hot showers than your hot water tank can keep up with, or, you know, like whatever the Mm -hmm. like small pieces are that just kind of keep us moving in a direction. I think we've had to focus more on those. And I think we've had to get a bit differently creative to step out of, of what might've been our typical go-to things to figure Mm -hmm. out some things that are outside of our norm. Mm -hmm. The last part of your question was about opening back up, which is, This thing that I find like equal parts thrilling and terrifying to think about, if I'm totally honest, Um, as we move toward opening up again, I think it's going to be really important to get curious about what fits for us now, because I think we need to acknowledge that this experience has changed us and what used to fit pre-pandemic may not fit exactly the same way. And we may need to do some adapting and accommodating to try to make that fit a little bit different. Um, To some extent though, that should always be true. Like we should always Mm. be adapting and evaluating our self-care. Things that worked for us five years ago probably don't work quite the same way anymore. It is an evolving process. And again, it kind of harkens back to that conversation we're having a little bit ago about doing check-ins, right? Like how is this going for me at work? that question about how is my self-care going for me should be a question that we're asking every once in a while um, to
0: see if it's still doing what it needs to be doing for us. One of my self-care practices in, I still commute to the office and back. It's not long. It's like good 20 minutes in that 20 minutes. I, I switch gears. So Mm -hmm. I still have that as something that I've recognized actually more now than ever. That that's a helpful thing for me. It's not just a pain to drive. It's like, No, actually, that serves a purpose for me. Totally. Emptying my head of one thing, preparing for another. Um, My partner is at home 100% of the time now working full time. And I was talking to him about what I was listening to on the drive home was CBC. And they were saying how large corporations have really gotten creative when Mm -hmm. they have valued people's mental health and the change that has happened over COVID. And one of the cool strategies that they shared was one company... Um, acknowledged the impact that removing commuting had, that they Mm. didn't have transitional opportunities and their brains were taxed as a result. So people would log in earlier, log off later, get way more work done. So it's masked by this hyper-productivity, but what happens is, is it comes at a personal cost of our yeah. capacity to transition. So what this company did was they paid staff to log in at the same time and log out at the same time, but they were told they may not do anything work-related for the first half hour or the last half hour. Hmm. And the demand was, the expectation was that they had to engage in a transition-atory, uh activity. It had to yeah. be something that allowed them to move mentally from one role to another. And I thought that was so, such an incredible gift to offer yeah. that is supported by a system of care. And I, I, just that stood out to me. And I thought, yeah, man, I just recognize how important that has been for me and how that's been robbed of a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think we see it's hilarious, right? Because, you know, grownups are just children in tall bodies. So um, <laughs> I think we see this in our kids all the time, right? Like they come home yeah. from school and if you look at them and say, oh, you need to go clean your room, like yeah. fat chance that that's going to go right. over well. They, We see it in them that they need that transition time. They need that time to like have a snack, be mindless, not have to attend to anything in particular, like zone out for 20 minutes, half an hour, before they can kind of reconnect to like, okay, I'm home now and I've got a groove here and I've got, yes. you know, a tour to do or a whatever that I, I'm going to go to next. Um, I don't know why we think we're so different than our children. Yeah. We're not, we're just mm-hmm. taller. So mm-hmm. I think it's helping ourselves recognize like all of those nurturing pieces that we need as kids, we continue to need as grown ups. They don't vanish. We're not better than that. Um, we're just not. So I I love that. I remember um, I used to work at a job where I had to take the ferry across the river every day, and the wait could be anywhere from like 20 minutes to like three hours, depending on the day.
0: Um,
1: And so it's funny because I actually loved, aside from like when it was, you know, 30 degrees outside and you're not allowed to sit with your air conditioning on for three hours, that wasn't fun. But um, by and large, it was actually really helpful because it was early in my career and I was still learning how to close my day with clients and again i was i've always served really heavy trauma clients um so how to close that part of my day before i got home Mm -hmm. and i found that that let me like it was lots of time um and then they put in a bridge and my commute went from on average about an hour and a half coming home to 20 minutes every day and it was super funny during that time because my husband worked from home at the time so and we didn't have kids yet. He would greet me like a puppy dog at the door, like he yeah. was so starved for go. human yeah. attention all day that uh-huh. he's like, "Hey, what's up? What are we gonna do?" Ba-da-da. Like it was so intense. Um, and I would walk in, and I hadn't had enough time to kind of decompress mm. out of the process of all of the things I just done and the demands on my time and my brain and my energy and whatever. And we would get into these like heated, not awesome interactions. And so we just like, it took a little bit to figure out that that was the problem. And we had this conversation about, we need to set some ground rules here that when I come home, I need like 20 more minutes. That's really what I need. Um, so you can come up to me, you can say hi and give me a hug, but then there needs to be like, no more words. And I'm going to go to my room and I'm going to close my eyes and Mm -hmm. lay in a bed and I'm going to set a timer and I will come back down in 20 minutes and you will have my devoted time and attention. But I, I need that space. And I think that you're right. The pandemic has elicited these new awarenesses because we're in totally different constraints that none of us have been trained for. So we don't know what we're doing and we're making it up as we go along. And I think it's helpful to know that maybe these are some of the pieces that have been bothering us that we didn't necessarily even have language for to -hmm. potentially adapt a little bit differently. Totally.
0: It also makes me, when you highlight that story, makes me think about the power of of clarifying expectations, that that's self-care. To assert and to say out loud what you need, to identify what you need and say it out loud to people who have maybe differing expectations of what they can have of you, um, that alone is self-care. It's getting yeah. everybody on the same page so that you don't have to have that battling experience. Every time you come home, you can go, well, they get it now and I get it and we just do it. Right. Yeah. And and then once that happens, we both get the, gain the benefit of that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and I think that
1: that conversation, even I remember my husband kind of mopey being like, well, but I really need, you know, human mm-hmm. contact.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I remember saying something to the effect of, um, I mean, I get that and I want you to have that. Like, I I want for you to have that. Yeah. But right now the human contact you're getting is like a grumpy me that is right. not is that the version? kind yeah. to you. Yeah. And I don't want, like, that's not who I want to be to you. Um. And if you can give me this 20 minutes, I can be a better version of me for you. And I think that you deserve that. And I feel like I deserve to feel like that's the kind of person I am. Um, and so with that in mind, it felt very different than me coming home and being like, I just need 20 minutes. Don't talk to me, you know, like to be able to say, you know, it's actually out of a place of, I want to love you better instead of, I just need me time. Um, I mean, effectively they're the same thing, but communicating that in a way that is a, a bit easier to hold and feels out of a place of care instead of out of a place of taking me away more.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. From that personal lens, because like I, I wanted to tap into that professional piece. you you hear a ton of stories, you work with a lot of people who are trying to navigate this piece of how do I incorporate self-care practically? But I also want to know what it, does it look like for you personally as a mom of two kids who is working full- time and for the most part out of the house, how does what works for you? Because every parent I talk yeah. to, fr- it gets really frustrated with this concept of self-care when it's prescriptive and generalized and spa day-ish. Yeah. But when I can say, you know what, actually what it looked like for me was I didn't let other demands come above the the warmth of my coffee. I let that dictated. Yes. I If it was I warm, it. I was drinking it. And if it's cold, that means that was not self-care. I waited mm-hmm. too long and I reheated it eight times in the microwave before I actually let myself drink it. Yeah. What does it look like for you? Okay, so the answer is is that it looks like a lot of things, yeah. and
1: that it's a lot of things that change. Um, okay. And I'll share this piece. So there was a time in my life when um, I was fairly new as a counselor. I recently graduated, um, and I had sustained a really bad back injury uh and i so i'm i was facing a lot of the pressures of being a clinician in a nonprofit trauma based setting i was new and had no idea what i was doing and so the pressure felt higher um the ability to be kind of resilient and have coping strategies in place around that felt lower anyway and then when i had the back injury i realized very quickly that all of my self care was physical So all of my self-care was anchored in things like going for a run, going for a hike, going for a whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, It was all activity, active activity based. And suddenly none of those things were options Um, as I was rehabbing this injury. And I was doing that for a couple of years. And so I, I for sure felt like a slump. There probably was bordering on some clinical depression at one point in time because of just how how it much fell out from under me so quickly, right. Right. and being in a time where again it felt like the demands were really high, and I was in that early career hustly phase um, where I I didn't know that I needed to take the time to even uh, kind of re strategize. Mm-hmm. So I didn't for way longer than I should have. Um, And so one of the things that came out of that for me, there was a couple of resources that I stumbled upon uh, within that timeline that had kind of called me into doing some evaluating of my own self-care planning. And one of the pieces that has become a really valuable piece for me and that I share a lot with clients is this idea of creating a really thorough and comprehensive self-care plan that shows up for us kind of regardless of the situation. So I had put too many eggs in one basket when I had my self-care plan before, it was all in the physical basket. And if I had a cold or the flu or a back injury or whatever, it was inaccessible and I had nothing as a fallback plan. Um, So now my self-care planning is really comprehensive and I work to evaluate it fairly regularly in an effort to update it and continue growing it so that it's continuously meeting my needs as my needs adapt and change. Mm-hmm. Um, on a general level, when I talk with clients, and this is what I how I structure this for myself, is I talk about five domains of self-care. So there's physical, mental, emotional, relational, and spiritual self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, and within each of those domains, what I try to do and what I support clients in doing is, considering that there should be some activities or actions in each of those domains that take more time. If I have more time and less time, if I have less time, right? Like there could be things that are like a whole weekend. There could be things that are like five minutes. Um, Some things could be more expensive. Some things need to be less expensive or free. Some things that can be done alone and other things that can be done with people around, right? Like we don't always get to be child free and partner free to do whatever we want. Um, we need to have options for self-care in almost every situation we find ourselves in so that we can grab something no matter what. Right. Right. So I have this conversation with, you know, first responders who are out in cars all day. We talk about like, well, what would it be like if you got a diffuser for the ambulance? Are you allowed to do that? Could that be a thing? Right. 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 Or, you know, like, right. How do we adapt things that can be easily grabbable throughout our day Mm -hmm and week and lifespan to be able to have something that we're investing into ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. I kind of relate it to like, you know, when you do the, the, you find a penny and you stick it in a jar kind of savings plan. Like yeah. some of the things are going to feel like the penny or the nickel now that we don't really have pennies. Um, some things are going to be the toonie that you find in the couch. Some things are going to be the yeah. like fiver that slipped out of someone's pocket. You know, like mm-hmm. some things are going to be worth a bit more. Some things are going to be worth a little bit less, but it's additive. So the yeah. more we pull it in and in the, in the small places, the more it's worth.
0: Hmm.
1: So for me personally, I think it looks like a lot of things. I still have a lot of physical activity that's built into my life. It's really important to me that I get my exercise in every day. Um, that is my me time. I have a treadmill at home. I think it's the best purchase I've ever made in my life. Hmm. Um, I can watch TV on my phone while I walk up a hill for pretend. And at the end, I feel like I did something after working at a job where I sit all day. Um, I also find that being out in nature is a really significant thing for me, like the feeling of fresh air and either sunshine or rain. I actually don't even really care that much, but just being out um, is really important to me. That's been more important to me this year than it has been in years previous. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that scents are a really significant piece for me. So again, I have a diffuser in my car. I've got one in the office. I've got one in almost every room of my house. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that it's a lot of these small moments, my kids and I do a lot of snuggling cause that's my self-care. I don't even care if it's good for them. Um, <laughs> it's good for me. It's good yes. for my mama heart.
0: Um,
1: my kids probably feel like super uncomfortable with the amount of eye contact I make with them because it just like fills my heart (laughs) to see their eyes. Soaking them in, you know, like like, weirdo mom. I'm so weirdo. I mean, I'm for sure that mom who's like cuddling with my seven year old son and saying, I hope you still do this with me when you're 30. You know, like Uh, it's for me, not for you. (laughs) Maybe it's for both, but for sure it's for me. You know, but it's like yeah. I, I like the <laughs> I'm the lady who's in the grocery store sniffing every bottle of shampoo to find the one that okay, makes me feel that's good. You. That's it's you. It's me. It's a hundred percent me. When you find a bottle of shampoo that's been pre-opened, it's my fault. I've known um, you for way longer than I thought. Then
0: I mean, <laughs> I've
1: always wondered who you were. Yeah. Right. It's totally me. Anything that's like coconut scented. All day, every day, you know, (laughs) like it's, it's these silly things that are just, they're just meaningful, right? Mm -hmm. And, and it's, you know, it's wearing colors that make me happy. It's wearing the fuzzy socks that make me comfy. It's, you know, aesthetically, I love that I get to be in an office that I got to make. And so I've got pictures of my family and things that just help me feel kind of anchored, Mm -hmm. Um, when I'm feeling kind of the wear of the day a little bit more, it's
0: all of those things. Yeah, Beautiful. It just makes it more accessible for everybody. I think if we exchange our real true self-care stories, because Mm -hmm. it gives us permission to think differently about it, and maybe we can then find our own tangibles, we can find our own small ways we can, I don't think if, I think for, for the most part, we, keep hunting for the thing that gets sold to us through Instagram. And I I Mm -hmm. think that that was even prior to social media pieces. I just remember every ad selling that when I was a kid, I And so just to undo the limitations of that structure in our own brains and let us think differently about it, when we hear how it works for other people, I think we can trust that better. And if mm-hmm. we never hear those stories, I think we just default to what's being sold to us. So thanks for 100%. telling us, for sharing that. Um, and and in the bigger picture, sharing kind of the struggles that we're having in our workplaces, in our transitions, pre-COVID, during COVID, where we might be heading. Um, it's It's been a very valuable conversation. Thank you. I'm glad. Thanks for having me. Thanks for spending time with me today. Remember to check out the show notes for related resources. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where you can also subscribe to my online learning page at my.thrive-life forward slash LRL series, where you'll get updates, extra tools for your toolkit. And if there's a topic that you want me to cover in this podcast, please shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you. Shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in this mud, I will see you back here next time.